Amen. To that choir special especially, thank you so much, choir. Good morning again, everyone. It's, uh, it's so good to be with you as the choir sang. I hope you listened to the words that they lifted up as I listened to the introduction, the extremely kind introduction given by Mickey and then again by Tanner. The, uh, the lyrics are so appropriate to what was just as lifted up because I have been blessed so far beyond what I deserve um, in having the opportunities that I've had, including this opportunity to be with you all this morning um, and this weekend. Really, wow, what a blessing. What, what a wonderful time we have had thus far. I'm, I'm happy that our daughter Isabella is with us this weekend. Her friend Megan, who lives in Winter Garden, is actually here. Um, they are on the back row. I met my wife at North Greenville University, a Baptist college, and you can take the girl out of the Baptist, but you can't take the back row Baptist out of the girl, nevertheless. Um, it is such a blessing for us all to be here with you. And again, as moderator, I bring you greetings on behalf of the General Synod of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. And again, it, it, thank you so much for that kind introduction and for your generosity. Lynn, I, there she is. She has absolutely spoiled us, y'all. The strawberry pie last night when we got there. Whew, oh my goodness, my clothes, I said last night, my clothes fit much better before I got here on Friday, but, but really such a blessing. Well, uh, if you've been with us thus far, you'll know that in our times together, we have been following a story, and it's been a good one. At least it has been to me. I hope it has been for you. It's a true story, and of course, I'm talking about Jonah's story, the story of a reluctant missionary and a story about priorities that points to our priorities as opposed to God's priorities, naturally speaking. And for a missions conference, I can think of no better focus uh, because realize that missions starts with you. Missions has to flow out of the conviction that we have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and called to be lights in a world full of darkness proclaiming out against it. You see, if your call as a Christian doesn't start there, then missions will always just be a job that's subbed out. It'll be some other calling exists that exists out there for a select few. Now, the foreign mission field may be such, but the mission field for you and me is, is wherever our feet happen to take us. And as it relates to Jonah, um, his feet took him some interesting places. We have some ground to make up. I only have this morning and tonight to preach, and we have three chapters left to cover, but don't worry because chapters two and three are very short. But as we get started, and we're going to actually start in chapter two, we, we, we got out of, the, uh, out of the, um, the program a little bit there, that's my fault, but nevertheless, before we get started, let me ask you something. I want you to have the courage to really consider your life right now as you consider this question. Have you ever been in a situation so overwhelming that you just didn't know what to do? And I don't mean a situation where you were just confused or, or just angry or just hurt or just lost or just tired or just scared or just regretful or just fill in the blank. What I'm talking about here is have you ever been so overwhelmed by multiple forces, emotions, physical and so forth, different circumstances that you didn't even know up from down? Have you ever been in a situation so perceptibly unredeemable so difficult or so scary or even so emotional where you were so angry or so sad or so frightened that you just didn't know what to do. Some have had this sort of experience when tragedy has visited them. 
An unexpected loss of a loved one, or even expected, can do this. Some have experienced this sort of situation when life just sort of blows up. The loss of a job, financial crisis, when sickness comes and along with it the loss of health. Some experience this when life just sort of falls apart. Often that has to do with when relationships fall apart. And some, well some experience this sort of situation when simply put, the game is up. When they've been found out and walls come crashing down. Again, situation so overwhelming that you just don't know what to do. Well, today, that's where we find our man Jonah. Where we left off yesterday morning was with the sailors finding Jonah out. And in chapter 1 there, uh, Jonah tried to run from God away from Nineveh, rejecting both the message that God gave him to take, but also the command of God. That's why we closed yesterday morning with me asking you if you are running from God or if you are walking with him. Ask you where your heart is both as individuals and as a congregation. You and I, we're not prophets like Jonah was, but at the same time, as I read yesterday, according to Ephesians 2.10, if you belong to Jesus, that means that you have been saved to do good works that have been prepared in advance for you to do. You are a missionary by default if you belong to the Lord. So we all have a mission. The question isn't if we do, the question is, Will we run from God or will we walk with him? But if you're running from God, what should you do? When life seems to fall apart, what should you do? Don't do what Jonah did. We could go ahead and say that, that's for sure. Which is in chapter 1, Jonah kept on running. Uh, Where we left off yesterday was with Jonah telling the sailors to toss him overboard. Cast me overboard, he said. And realize this, and I actually was talking to Mickey about this. You know, we we read Jonah, and this is one of the dangers we face. I talked about this Friday night. When you're familiar with a biblical story, you tend to just focus on the things you're familiar with, and I hope you won't do that. Because when we think about Jonah, inevitably we think about the big fish, right, that swallowed him. But realize when Jonah told those sailors, throw me overboard. That was verse 16. Y'all, Jonah didn't know about verse 17. Right? As far as he was concerned, that was the end. Realize he could have told those sailors, hey, guys, I know what the problem is. I'm God's prophet. The reason this storm has befallen us is because he told me to go to Nineveh. I booked a passage with you to Tarshish. You want this storm to end? Aim this thing towards Nineveh. He didn't do that. He was still running. And as far as he knew, when he told them to throw him overboard, it was death that was awaiting him. But as we know, because we read verse 17, God had other plans for Jonah. Verse 17 of chapter 1, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And it is there in the belly of the fish, chapter 2, verse 1, that we will pick up this morning. But we're not going to be there too long because we will also see what happens next in chapter 3, which we'll start reading in chapter 2, verse 1. But before we read anything, let's go to the Lord for help because do we ever need it? Our God and our Father, as we come to your word this morning, I know that I have already asked pointed questions that might have taken our minds either to things that we are facing right now or situations that we have encountered in the past where seemingly everything was falling apart. If we look to the past and yet we are here today, and if we'll pay attention, 
we will see your hand at work. We will see your faithfulness again and again. So please bring that to mind for us. But if there are any here today that are struggling, and we all are to a certain extent, but if there are any here today that are struggling and are running from you, any here today that don't know up from down or left from right, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Whether we're facing this or not, please, by your Holy Spirit, show us the truth of your word and not, again, not just in an academic sense, but in an applicable sense, in a way that relates to our lives so that we would leave here as changed people with a renewed commitment, with an urgency even, with a tenacity for your truth in a world that is full of lies and deception. Oh, Father, that you would guide us now by your Spirit and that we would leave here today committed anew to follow and trust in you. But again, Father, this isn't our work, it's yours. This isn't an academic time, it's a spiritual time, and we need spiritual help. So please, guide us now by your Spirit, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Jonah, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I... With the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And now on to chapter 3 verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, quote, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said it would do to them, and he did not do it. 
And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Well, again, today where we picked up, where we left off yesterday, was with Jonah in the belly of the fish. And just a few moments ago, I asked the question, if you're running from God, what should you do? I asked, if life is falling apart for you, what should you do? I then said, don't do what Jonah did, that's for sure. But that's not exactly fair. Again, don't do what Jonah did in chapter 1, which is he kept on running, thinking that he could escape God, flee from the presence of God, as the passage says. Uh, As I said yesterday, y'all, God loves you far too much to let you go. He may let you go your own way for a while, but he is going to come get you. And he's going to do so out of love and care. Even so, don't do what Jonah did in chapter 1. But in chapter 2, you see, we find a different Jonah altogether. We find a Jonah who, as we just read, was taken down by God further and further and further. We talked about this yesterday. The Hebrew really indicates a directional sense this. He was taken down to the bowels of the earth, it seemed. And what did Jonah do then? What was Jonah's response to all these things? In a word, Jonah prayed. That's what he prayed. In verse 2, as we just read, Jonah said, I called out to the Lord. You notice Lord is in all caps there, the personal God. I cried out to Jehovah out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice. Now, we're not going to spend too much time on Jonah's prayer here because we have to get on with the story. But in it, we find the answer to the question, what should you do if you're running from the Lord? And the answer to the question happens to be the same answer to that. Uh, What should I do when life falls apart? And amazingly enough, what Jonah did here in chapter 2 is also the answer to the question, how do I move forward with life? And also so many other pertinent fundamental questions that we either ask ourselves or ought to ask ourselves. Again, Jonah prayed. And then he acted. But what did he pray for? How did he pray? It's rather simple. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Jonah said, when my life was fainting away, I remembered Jehovah. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Then he said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to Jehovah. Jonah's prayer really only consisted of two things, you see. Number one, Jonah remembered the Lord. You might say, okay, well, yeah, everybody knows about the Lord. That's not what we're talking about here. Remembering the Lord in itself deserves an entire sermon, an entire series of sermons. Recognize that throughout God's word, especially in the Old Testament, his people are given a command over and over again. You know what it is? He keeps telling them, remember, 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 remember I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in, in Egypt. Remember these things that I have done for you. When you get to this land, when you live in houses you didn't build. When you reap the fruit from a vineyard that you didn't plant or tend. When you sit down in a house that you didn't furnish. And your son asks you, what's the meaning of these laws? Remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Again, remembrance here is not just recall. Remembrance has built into it thanksgiving and action. 
With Jonah, it brought resolve to trust God and to act in faith. So the first thing he did was remember God. The second thing he did was repent. He repented of following anyone other than God. That's this business about vain idols here. Who, those who place their trust in idols, they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. This too is an entire sermon series. But for the sake of this morning, remember that idols are not just shrines that people build to false gods. I don't know who said it first. I should have looked it up, but I've used it so many times. I'm sure some, a, a, a theologian far better than myself. And Tanner, don't sell yourself short. Your, your words are far too kind for me. Y'all are blessed to have Tanner. And I, I know that he would echo this sentiment. But somebody said first, show me your idol. Or show me, excuse me, I've messed it up. Show me what you covet and I'll show you your idol. Right? Show me what you trust in other than God, and I'll show you your idol. Do you trust in money over God, your relationships, your abilities, your smarts? They're idols, all of them, if they take God's place. Anything, in fact, that you put before God is your idol. So Jonah rejected idols and instead renewed his commitment to trusting the Lord and following what God had for him. He said, I will sacrifice. I will pay the vows that I owe. And that's it. That's all he prayed. Realize there's no magic formula here. No verse in the Bible was taken out of context by Jonah, and then he didn't name and claim something. Jonah stopped his running, and he turned to the Lord with a simple commitment to trust in God. Y'all probably know this by now, but I have to make comment on this. There's always some next great idea out there in Christianity. I see Tanner smiling. You know what I'm talking about. There's always some next great book, and then they're going to put something on a coffee mug, and then it'll be on a refrigerator magnet or, 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 or bumper stickers. And I tell my people all the time, beware bumper sticker theology, okay? But nevertheless, my favorite one is, is there's a desk calendar. You've probably seen it, Tanner. Um, and it's, it's a quotation from Luke, and, I, and it must be from ladies because it's all flowery in the background, right? And it has a verse every day. And the verse was from Luke, and it said, Worship me, and all shall be thine. And you say, oh, yeah, that's good. I like worshiping God. And it, the problem is, that's what Satan said to Jesus, okay? So that's not on your motivational calendar. It shouldn't be. Nevertheless, there's always some new method out there, right? Always some new book that, that promises this path to a higher plane of spirituality, right? It may be some verse that's taken out of context that is applied over and over again. But y'all, that, that, that's just false. It's, it, it's heresy. The people that write these kind of books, they are the begotten of the pit. They're the sons and daughters of hell, and they're trying to make more sons and daughters of hell. I don't sugarcoat the heresy that they peddle, and you shouldn't either. There is no secret path to some higher plane of spirituality. Remember the Lord and follow him. That's it. Is your life falling apart? Remember the Lord and follow him. Are you running from God? Remember the Lord and, and follow him. Is everything in your life just peachy? And is life good? Great. Remember the Lord and follow him. Why? Because as Jonah said, salvation belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord's and it is the Lord's alone. And you can trust God. And you can trust the fact that he will always hear your prayer of repentance and faith. He'll hear it also even if you don't exactly know what to pray. Because God looks at the heart. You know, Jonah tells us in chapter 2 all of these things that he prayed. But how do you think that prayer sounded 
there in the belly of the fish. Verses 2 through 6, Jonah describes his ordeal. He talks about water rushing over his head, seaweed wrapped around his neck, how he was taken down to the bowels of the earth. You know, there are certain uh, subways that you can get on, and they go deep, and they make your ears pop. What did it feel like when this fish dragged him to the bottom of the sea as he was going down, down, down? What did his prayer sound like? probably sounded like a gurgled scream but that points to who this God is that we serve God heard him and he came running for his son Uh, if you have children you especially know the difference between screams right there are screams of joy there are screams of excitement but there are also screams of fear and pain She's here this morning, but I'm going to talk about her anyway. Isabella is my girl, y'all. And if she screams a scream of pain or fear, don't get in my way because I'm going to her. If there's a wall, I'm going to make a door, all right? Um, And I'm an imperfect father. I'm selfish. I, I lose my sense of priorities. How much more will your perfect father in heaven hear you? That's what Jonah points to here. Pray, even when you don't know how. Jonah teaches us that we're never too far gone, that we can always turn to God in prayer, but that our prayers should come with repentance if you're running from him. Well, as we read, God heard Jonah, and the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. But what happened next? Now, this is where things start to really get interesting in Jonah's story. They've been interesting before, but but Jonah, with this renewed commitment to the Lord, with the pledge to keep his vow and follow God's mission, he does. Jonah simply trusted God. He didn't know the future. God never calls you to, you know. He didn't know what God was going to do. He simply acted out of faithfulness. He did what he said he would do. He kept the vows that he made. And what happened? What did God do as a result? Well, he did then what he does now. You know, God never calls us to know the future. God never calls us to to be able to figure out every single possible scenario and hypothetical situation. God calls us to be faithful. Steady as she goes. Obey and leave the consequences to God. What happened? What did God do when Jonah did this? Well, look at chapter 3, verse 1 again. It says, Then the word of Jehovah came to Jonah the second time. And pause there for a second. This one single verse, it deserves 10 sermons just for itself. But don't worry, not going to do that. But, but with the whole story in mind thus far, just think about it. Can you tell me a more unlikely turn of events? Now really think about it, y'all. And no, I'm not talking about the fish. I'm not talking about the storm. It never ceases to amaze me. You talk about Jonah and almost instantly people's minds go to him being swallowed by the fish as if that's the most amazing thing in the story. But it's not. The most amazing part of the entire Jonah story is right there in chapter 3, verse 1. The fact that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You might say, what are you talking about? Why is that amazing? Why does the word of the Lord coming to, to Jonah a second time? How could that even be compared to being swallowed by a fish? Well, let me tell you. The word of the Lord coming to Jonah a second time is the most amazing thing in the Jonah story. Because Jonah deserved to be fish food, that's why. Think about it. 
Jonah was the prophet of God. We talked about this Friday night, but as he, even though he was God's prophet, even though he was given that great responsibility and great privilege to represent God, he ran from God. Instead of gratitude, Jonah was filled with disdain for what God had called him to do. Yet God loved Jonah so much. He loved him enough to just not let him go his own way. And God heard his prayer and he saved him. And the truly shocking thing is that then God restored Jonah. And he gave the word to him a second time when he deserved the exact opposite. Now before we get into the why as to why God restored Jonah, let me ask you. If you're still wondering, well, why is that the most amazing part? How many times has the word of the Lord come to you? A second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. And y'all, I'm not talking about the prophetic word of God. Again, God doesn't speak to us as he spoke to prophets because we have his word in all of its entirety. But when I'm referring to the word of God, I'm talking about the mission. I'm talking about what God has told you to do. I'm talking about God's priorities for your life. How many times? How many times have you known what you ought to do and didn't do it? Or you did the exact opposite? Yet, as it was with Jonah, we all have a purpose, a mission, a task that God works in us and prepares in advance for us to do. Again, Ephesians 2.10. Our mission field is wherever our feet take us, so that makes the whole world our Nineveh. And with that in mind, how many times have you run from God? How many times have you turned your back on what you knew was right and you did what you wanted instead of what God wanted, whether out of rebellion, sometimes it's fear, sometimes it's intimidation, sometimes it's plain old selfishness or stubbornness. How many times have you gone looking for your own Tarshish, where you would go instead of where God wanted you to go? How many Ninevehs, how many opportunities have you been given to follow the Great Commission and share the gospel, yet you were too embarrassed, too busy, too scared, too ashamed, too close, too whatever, and instead of speaking the truth, you stayed silent? Well, I can't answer that question for you, but I can for myself, and it is to my shame. I've gone looking for Tarshish instead of Nineveh so many times I can't even count it. Hundreds of times. Who am I kidding? Thousands of times. I have turned my back on God's way and gone my own way. Every time I decide to sin, I go looking for Tarshish instead of Nineveh. But y'all, doesn't this point us to who God is? Praise be to God that his faithfulness is so great. His mercy is so powerful. His grace is all sufficient and so wild beyond our reckoning that the Lord isn't finished with Jonah at this point in our story. He's not finished with me and he's not finished with you either. So when we read Jonah 3.1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I hope that you are humbled and overjoyed at the fact that God is still working. He's still working on me and he's still working in you. We serve a God who restores and redeems the unredeemable. What we see in Jonah 3.1 is restoration. And that relates to us. God restores his people for a purpose. And it certainly isn't for us to turn around and do what we just want to do. It's certainly not to restore so that we can go back to sinning again. God doesn't pour out his mercy on us so that we can focus on ourselves and our agendas. He saves us again to do the good works that he's prepared for us as he did with Jonah. And just what had God prepared for Jonah? Look at verse 2. God told Jonah, Arise. This is chapter 3, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it's the same thing that God said in chapter 1. Yet here we are again. Why did God restore Jonah? 
The same reason he restores us, so that we would be about his business, that's why. And in Jonah's case, the business God laid before him was to go unto Nineveh and preach. We read it already, so so we're not going to read it again. But we find out that Nineveh is a big town in chapter 3. It was considered a three days journey in breadth. Now, what did a three days journey practically mean? Practically, a, a, a day's journey meant 20 miles. So did this mean that it was 60 miles around Nineveh? Well, probably not. But the way that the terrain was and, and such, you, you couldn't make 20 miles in a day. But nevertheless, it's a big place, right? But there's a nuance to verse 2 that we shouldn't miss. Okay, uh, The ESV refers to it as a great city. The Hebrew actually says, and, and the ESV is trustworthy here. I'm not trying to, to plant seeds of doubt. But there's a nuance here in the Hebrew that we need to see. The Hebrew actually says that it was a city great to God. So that means that it's not only a big city, but in God's eyes, it was important. Its populace was important. And it was by everybody else's reckoning too. Realize that Nineveh uh, was really one of the centers of the world at that time. Nineveh held the world's first public library. Did you know that? Uh, It was the repository, basically, for the world's knowledge at that time. It was the center of commerce for the most powerful empire on earth. Its kings and its judges ruled over all the affairs of the great Assyrian Empire. So it was of vast importance. So in light of that, Jonah recognized that it was important to God, so he got with the program, and as verse 3 says, he, he went. Now, what was his message when he went? As the easiest sermon Shortest sermon you could ever preach. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. You notice what he didn't do. He didn't say that they should start living their best life now and reach their full potential, right? He didn't say, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. No, 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 no. He told them the truth. And the truth is enough, y'all. You should be told in love, but the truth is enough. Y'all notice that he didn't even get into the specifics of their sin. He, he didn't deal with justice causes. He didn't have to because he brought the word of the Lord, and the power is always in the word of the Lord. He brought the truth. What do you do with the people in your life? What do you bring to them? I'll just leave that there. Uh, What was the truth that Jonah brought? As we saw in chapter 1, again, Nineveh was so wicked that their stench had risen before God. If they didn't turn around and follow God, they'd be destroyed. He simply told them the truth and points them to a reality that we would all do well to recognize. I love literature um, to illustrate this. Just just love it. Anybody ever read Moby Dick in high school? I don't think they require that anymore. But, but Moby Dick, written by Herman Melville, it's, it's perhaps the great American novel. It's about the white whale and, and Captain Ahab's pursuit of the white whale. It's filled with biblical imagery. I, I know a young lady that, that's a college student at, at UVA, and she was converted because she was a literature major. And she just didn't understand Moby Dick and all these things that she was supposed to read. And her secular professor said, well, if you're going to understand Moby Dick, you really need to read the Bible to understand it. And she did. And she was converted. Praise be to God. But nevertheless, it's full of this imagery. My favorite part in the book, though, uh, is when Father Maple, prior to their sailing, right, um, uh, Ishmael and Queequeg, prior prior to them, them boarding the Pequod to go out on this whaling journey, they go to church. 
And Father Maple preaches this sermon. He called out to him. And by the way, if you saw the movie, that's good enough because Orson Welles played Father Maple. And I hope you'll forgive me as I try to imitate him. But he, he, he climbed up in the best pulpit ever. It was like a ship and it had a little ladder that went down to it. Anyway, he climbed up and he began to preach the sermon on the book of Jonah. And he got to what Jonah did there in Nineveh, Jonah's message. And he said, Jonah did the Almighty's bidding. And what was that, shipmates? He called his congregation shipmates, you know, it was in New Haven, a whaling town. But he said, and what was that, shipmates? To preach the truth in the face of falsehood. Oh, shipmates, woe to him who seeks to pour oil on the troubled waters when God has brewed them into a gale. Now, what he's talking about there, oil on the waters, he spoke of a technique that was employed in shipyards and, and, and in harbors where the water was really churned up. They'd dump oil into it to try to calm the water down. Very environmentally friendly, right? But nevertheless, that's what he's talking about here. But the imagery is what's important there. What he's saying is, woe to anyone. Woe to anyone. Curses be upon anyone that goes into a situation where the truth is needed. And then they just, just glaze it over. They pretend that everything is okay. Jonah didn't do that. He spoke of a coming judgment. And the reality that God is merciful, yes. But never forget a central truth about God. We talked about this especially Friday night when we were together. Y'all listen because this is important. In the church today there is a great vanishing doctrine. A subject that not a lot of preachers talk about anymore and I know that yours does. But that subject is God's judgment. I'm not trying to frighten anyone, but the reality is that people have gotten it all wrong about God. You know, Romans 12, 19 says, don't take revenge, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Again, I talked about this Friday night, but somewhere along the way, people convince themselves that either sin doesn't matter or that God isn't holy, and it doesn't matter which because it's disastrous thinking and results on both ends. Because it ends in destruction for whoever holds these ideals. Think about what I just read from Romans 12. God never says that vengeance is bad. He says it belongs to him and that he's going to have it. So as Father Maple said, woe to him who seeks to pour oil on the troubled waters when God has brewed them into a gale. Another way of saying this is woe or curses upon him who would cover up the truth. And isn't that what's going on around us? We should expect that from the world, right? I mean, Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Fools do foolish things. We get that. But something inexcusable is going on. A lot of people and lots of churches who claim to follow Christ and who claim to believe in God's word have abandoned it. And instead of loving people enough to tell them the truth, so many churches have abandoned the truth and exchanged it for a lie. You want to know what's wrong with Christianity in America? Well, there's a lot, but this is a really good start. We stopped telling the truth. Yet Jonah was restored to go to Nineveh and tell the truth and tell the truth he did. And what happened? Well, as we read, verses 6 through 9 detail uh, something else much, something else miraculous here. It's not, again, there's so many amazing things here. The fish, yes, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah a second time. But think about what we read that Nineveh did. It's almost as amazing as verse 1. Verses 6 through 9 say that the people of Nineveh, not the king, and there's something applicable there. The people of Nineveh believed in God and proclaimed a fast from the greatest to the least. 
And the king found out about it. And he took off his royal robes and he put off sackcloth and and sat in ashes. Then he issued this royal decree that everybody should do the same thing. That even the livestock should be dressed in sackcloth and covered in ashes. Can you imagine being a farmer in Nineveh? Right, I've got quite a few farmers in my church, cattle farmers. Imagine, you know, the president issuing a, a, a martial law decree, right? And he says, hey, hey all right, the, the cows, even put the, the livestock, your turkeys, your chicken, put them in sackcloth. Can you imagine being a farmer there? And somebody says, hey, hey your cows, you've got to wrap them up. Excuse me? Say what? <laughs> yep, yep, that's what the king says. Oh, yeah, dump ashes on them, too. And don't let them eat or drink anything. You know, y'all, this is borderline crazy, isn't it? Well, not when you have the God of the universe giving you a warning and you believe it. Why such a reaction? Well, look at the king's mindset. Again, verse 9, he said, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Even though the animals didn't sin, the king said, put sackcloth on them too. Uh, Y'all, forget about the big fish for a minute. This is a miracle. This is supernatural change working here. Now, admittedly, Jonah must have been a sight. He would have been reeking of the fish. His skin probably would have been bleached white from being in its inside. But the reality is, is this is not just fear. This is spiritual change going on in Nineveh. The most wicked city on earth has turned from evil and instead has turned to God. Try to put that in a modern context. What's the most wicked city you can think of? Uh, Bangkok? San Francisco? Go to San Francisco and say, hey, look at what the word says. Y'all need to turn around. And then Nancy Pelosi says, that's it, y'all. Sackcloth and ashes for all of us. Now we laugh and we think, that is the most unlikely thing on earth. But let me tell you something. It's no less unlikely that the king of the Assyrian Empire would do this. But he did. This just goes to show that no situation is beyond redemption. You think things are bad in America? You think the world is falling apart? Guess what? Things are bad, but God can change the world at any given time. It happened 500 years ago with the Protestant Reformation. It happened 3,000 years ago in Nineveh. It can happen here. But it starts with the truth. Let me tell you, all these questions I've been asking throughout this conference for a reason. Let me bring things back around to the fact that this is a missions conference. You know, nothing's going to change if you're running from God. Nothing's going to change if you're looking for Tarshish instead of Nineveh. Nothing's going to change if your heart is focused on you and living for your desires instead of God's desires. I know because I speak from experience. And again, it's to my shame. Nothing's going to change while people are skirting the truth and refusing to stand up for what's right. Nothing's going to change if we're so worried about offending someone that we never have the courage, we never have the love to share the love of Christ with them. Nothing's going to change if we allow ourselves to be distracted by the glam of the world and lies from Satan that are so fresh that they smell like the smoke of hell and it's going on every day. Y'all, as we saw yesterday morning, it doesn't matter if your theology is correct. It doesn't matter how much good stuff you think you do. If your heart isn't right, if you're not trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, if you're riding with the devil instead of walking with God, everything is empty. The devil is a far better theologian than you or me, but he's still the devil. 
Father Maple continued his sermon by saying, Yea, woe to him who, as the pilot Paul has it, while preaching to others, is a castaway himself. In other words, change starts with you. And the spiritual awakening that we desire for our nation, for our community, it begins here with this church. Missions start with you. But back to our story. Verse 10 says, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What this means is the most unlikely place on earth is turned to God. It's unbelievable. But it's entirely believable if you know how God really works. For you see, it's no less miraculous that you yourself are a child of God. Because when a person becomes a Christian, it's not just because that person has weighed the options and chosen to prescribe to a system of thought. No, whenever someone really becomes a Christian, it's because God has taken a heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. It's because he's taken dry bones and put life on them. It's because that individual has become a new creation in Christ. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, it's because the old has gone and the new has come. And it's all because of Jesus. Again, I know I've asked some pointed questions, and I don't know how you've been answering those. What your aroma is, where your Nineveh is, where your Tarshish is, what your relationship with the Lord is actually like, where your heart is. Maybe you haven't even thought twice about him. I don't know. But I do know this. In Jesus, there's newness of life. In Jesus, there is purpose. There is redemption and restoration. And as he said, if the Son of Man sets you free, oh, you are free indeed. And because of this, in Jesus alone, there is hope and change. He delivers what the world promises but never can. If you know him, make sure you are trusting on him on a daily basis. Spend time with him in prayer, the ordinary means of grace, as Tanner mentioned. And you'll be amazed at what situations God can redeem and how God can work, even in the most unlikely of circumstances. But if you don't know him, and I don't assume that everyone here does. Turn to him today. Ask Jesus to be Lord of your life and he will. Confess your sins to him and ask for forgiveness. And not only will you be forgiven, you will be made alive in Christ. You'll never be alone again. You'll never be lost again. And you will have the responsibility. Yes, it's a responsibility to represent him and be a light in the world. But it is the grandest privilege in the history of history. So if you don't know him, turn to him. Quit your running. But if you have done that already, as Jonah did in the belly of the fish, remember the Lord. Commit yourself anew to follow him and to trust. Where we're going to pick up tonight and where we close our time together will be in the final chapter of Jonah. That's where we're going to find out what's really been going on. If it feels like we're ending things on a cliffhanger right now, good. Because stories without them are boring. Again, I, I look forward to that time with you. As I said, Jonah is all about priorities. It's in chapter 4 that we learn what Jonah's really were. Why he ran to begin with. And it's also in Jonah's four, uh, Jonah 4 that we see God's heart. And the real basis for missions. I hope you will be here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. 
for the power of your word, for the fact that you redeem the unredeemable and can intervene at any time. Oh, that you would in this place right now. For those that don't know you, draw them to yourself. For those that do know you, oh, Father, that we would remember. Remember and live in light of who you are and who you have called us to be. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We will close now with our hymn of response, number 465, verses 1 through 3.